0: The UN Human Rights Office is urging countries not to impose communication blackouts. It says the impact of such action has had a negative effect on people's lives. But will governments listen? I'm your host, Hashim Albarra, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests in Geneva, Peggy, Hicks, Director of thematic engagement at the United Nations Human Rights Office, which produced the report. In Washington, Stephen Nicks, Senior Director for Eurasia at the International Republican Institute. And in London, Barbara Bukowska, Senior Director for Law and Policy at Article 19, an organization that campaigns for global freedom of expression. Welcome to the program. Peggy, governments restricting access to the internet, why should we be concerned now? Is it because we're seeing indications of a pattern here?
1: Absolutely. We see a a longstanding pattern and it's evolving. We see blanket shutdowns, but we also see all sorts of other ways to shut down through reducing the speed, uh, you know, taking you down from 5G to 2G or downgrading or throttling in other ways. So there's certainly a trend and we need to worry about it because it has enormous impact. It's not just um, the the shutting off of of speech and and protest, which is sometimes the the purpose, um, but it has an enormous economic impact and uh, impact on people's ability to access essential services like healthcare or education or their jobs. So it's something that really should be of concern to everyone.
0: Stephen, this is something that the report says has been vastly underestimated. Is it because we tend to consider internet as a as a normal part of our daily lives and therefore just we move on without looking into the details and those incidents that take place in different parts of the world but we bring them together they portray a somber aspect of the political reality
2: yes that's true and i agree with peggy's comments this goes far beyond uh protests and and speech uh, I would like to go back and put this in context, and the basic question we have to ask ourselves is, where do people rely on for their main sources of news? And 10 to 15 years ago, in the former Soviet space, that was completely dominated by television, primarily state television, ultimately a mix of state and private television. But that has changed. Uh, We see polling data that indicates in countries like Ukraine, Georgia, Moldova, internet has crept up and actually surpassed TV as the main news source for people in those countries. Unfortunately, in countries like Russia and Belarus, that's not been the case. In Russia, there's data that indicates that over 50% of Russian citizens rely primarily on TV for their political news. That number rises to 74% when you look at people 55 years and older. So this is a tremendous problem, uh, is the access to news and information through the internet in places like Russia and Belarus, where it has been curtailed and almost completely eliminated in some cases.
0: Mm -hmm. Baba, so this this has become quite vital instrument in our lives to the point where we rely on it to earn our living, to listen to the news, to talk to our loved ones, to take part in any political debate. Voice our concerns about the future, and governments are using that in particular to stifle dissent. What do you think should be done to stop this from happening again and again?
3: Yeah. So thank thank you so much. Uh, I agree, and I also want to add that this is not just stifling dissent; it's also stifling you know ability of the people to 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 go about in their daily lives because people are increasingly rely on internet or and on the internet to access information about food about their necessary for their livelihood if you are running a business if, if you are promoting your small enterprise or big enterprise online if you are trying to find an information about you know covid recently in the pandemic so that's really having impact on all aspects of life which are now interconnected with technology with internet and where uh, and, and the shutdowns in various forms impact disability so what has to be done so there is. Uh, uh, The the solutions lie on a number of layers and levels and the report of the uh, High Commissioner, which we are discussing, uh, outlines them. But one of the layers is on the side of the state, which are resorting to this measure and which are imposing those shutdowns. So to realize that uh, blanket shutdowns or Mm -hmm. it's like kill speech or blackouts are never justified and are never a proportionate restrictions on human rights, right? So these shutdowns are often presented as a sort of, like, necessary tool to, let's say, national security or public order if it happens in the context of protests or, or some sort of, like, emergency. But, you know, that's blanket one like when you disconnect the whole mm-hmm. country or a region from internet that's never justified like there can be never never kind of situation where you can disconnect the whole region or a whole country from the internet. So they should stop this practice full stop. They we can discuss like when it can be justified mm-hmm. for kind of like limited um limited you know, let's say you know area in very extremely uh, really rare circumstances, but the blanket shutdowns, like basically okay. no. So that's on the level of the state. Then there is something which can be done on the level of the companies: how do they, how they, uh, they comply with the shutdown orders and what they can do to challenge them, and then also a kind of awareness of international community and what we are also doing here to point out to the danger of those shutdowns and their impact on human rights, economy, and, and lives of people.
0: Peggy, when, 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 when you look at the report, India feature, features as a, a leader in restricting access to the internet, particularly in Jammu and Kashmir. The, the, the conflict persists. Uh, the UN has been criticising India for excessive use of violence. So As long as the conflict continues, we are likely to see that trend perpetuated for as long as it takes.
1: Yeah, I mean, the reality is we have long-term shutdowns, like what has been experienced in Kashmir and also in um, Myanmar is another good example of that. Ethiopia, where we now have ongoing concerns there because of what's been said, and you, you talked about it in the intro. But the reality is one of the big problems here is, you know, yes, we have a lot of data on what's happened in India But we also know that it is a global phenomenon, and there's all sorts of things that are happening that we don't even have real transparency and data on. So one of the key things we call for in the report as well is that if a government's going to impose a shutdown, their minimum obligation is that they should actually tell us they're doing it, tell us why they're doing it, and that way we can at least have transparency and accountability around this. And we also propose pulling together a collaborative mechanism that might be able to help us to better monitor these this phenomenon and i do think that would bring us back to barbara's point where if we're monitoring them we'll be in a better position to be able to to really hold governments accountable when they when they do these actions if it's more in the public domain
0: Stephen, monitoring uh, governments who are imposing the black house is going to be a delicate and difficult task because you know they use all sorts of techniques those who would tell you that we have poor infrastructure but they do it on purpose so as people cannot download the material that the government looks as very sensitive they are saying that we don't have the enough technology we don't have enough resources to do that when we know that the ultimate uh, uh motive is to deny people from getting access to those platforms so how do you see us moving forward to tackle this particular issue Well, yes, I want to
2: cite two uh, distinct examples of the challenges that we face in terms of Internet shortages and shutdown. And again, I would point to Russia and Belarus, Mm -hmm. where the opposition leadership has basically been forced to leave the country. Uh, The Navalny organization is now operating from Vilnius, Lithuania, and other capitals in Europe. Similarly, Tikhanovskaya is in Vilnius leading the Belarus opposition, along with others in various parts of Europe. So these opposition movements have become offshore movements. They no longer have the capability to interact in person with voters and constituents, which means the Internet is the only means to communicate with people inside these two countries. And I will cite a specific example of Russia during the Duma elections. Navalny's organization came up with a system called Smart Voting which is basically a get out the vote program, identifying voters, urging them to vote for any candidate, any party, except for the party of Vladimir Putin. And it was successful in local elections. The authorities knew that. So in the recent Duma elections, Smart Voting's website was shut down. And then slowly but surely, all of the apps that carried Smart Voting in Russia were shut down to varying degrees. Uh, because the authorities knew that this was effective. They feared losing seats in the Russia Duma. But in addition to these internet shutdowns, and this is the threat that we're, we're talking about here, there are other digital tactics being used by authoritarian regimes. And in this case, in the Duma elections, the Russian government introduced electronic voting in Moscow for the Duma elections. And when the results were tallied from regular voting, Of the 15 constituencies in Moscow, the smart voting candidate was leading. Then when the electronic votes were tallied up, guess what? The party of power won every single constituency. So these tactics go beyond merely shutting down the internet. This goes to digital applications, digital strategies, which deny people basic fundamental rights to campaign and to cast their votes for their choice of candidate or political party. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge that we face today.
0: Babo, how should we draw the fine line between our concerns, the concerns of the international activists looking forward to see a world without restrictions, and governments who say we have to do it for the sole reason that we're facing huge security concerns, blackouts, Restricted access to the internet comes sometimes when we are launching a major military operation targeting terrorist groups. It has to happen, otherwise, it's not going to work out. So, how can we define that line between the two concerns here?
3: So, we need to first uh, also be mindful of the phenomenon like we are describing because we are using shutdown to refer to like various, various. Um, Types of measures which the which the states are imposing. So but the most uh, kind of known one is the blackout when they disconnect everything, right? And then, as we have heard already from Peggy and, and so on, so there are other forms. Like sometimes there are like technical throttling of the of the network, so which is not so obvious because you as a user really don't know what's happening. Is there a technical problem? Is there like a shortage of electricity, or 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 you don't know? And then there is also the Blocking of the websites or blocking certain apps, as was just described for the case of Russia. So there is kind of like um, various tools which fall into this definition of what unquote called shutdowns, and and we need measures to kind of like you know re- prevent or restrict uh, their use to all, and that will depend how that is. So what I said about that, this all blackout and shutdown, and what you were re- uh, referring to, what the governments often. Use, they say there is an emergency there is a terrorist attack there is a uh, some something really serious where we really need to disconnect the whole country from the internet mm-hmm. so as i said this is never excuse which um, is um which is proportionate or actually which is even effective right because mm-hmm. if you disconnect certain area from from the internet totally you are not only trying to kind of like get some terrorists or got Although also these this, uh, measures are used uh, on the issues like exams, right? They say, like, we need to prevent kids cheating on exams, so we need to disconnect everyone. But anyhow, so when you do this, you are also preventing emergency services reaching uh, the, the people who might be, you know, held by terrorists. You might be also um, uh, disconnecting and limiting the possibility of even, like, in real-life information, like what's happening, right? So, you might uh, imagine the issue like shooting in school. It's very important when people in real life can report to the police or can connect what is what is happening. So proportionality-wise, this never works for mm-hmm. a whole country or for, for a whole region because it's just disconnect and impedes also so much of useful information and necessary information which you need in this crisis situation to respond to the threat. Right. So, so, so that's number one. We might mm-hmm. talk about like you know. Sometimes in very super limited situations, when you know it might be you know really necessary, I can't like think of that, such a situation. But then, under the rule of law and under the, the the real legal system, this just can't be decided by some you know public official or by um, we don't we don't know whom in a in a without due process or without considering all these aspects. The majority of those uh, concerns which we are having are actually on those spurious reasonings which uh, the countries have and which they say which never stand when you look at them in the detail.
0: Let's talk a little bit about practical ways to tackle the issue of denying people access to the internet. Peggy, when it comes to traditional forms of authoritarianism, we, we have developed tools. We can take the oppressors to the United Nations Human Rights Council or to the United Nations Security Council. We can impose sanctions When it comes to digital authoritarianism, people have been floating wild ideas such as deploying uh, satellite internet, Wi-Fi balloons, VPNs and, you know, no one, it's not easy, it's not easy, it's costly and not all the world will be able to have access to those. What could be, from your own perspective, the easiest, most practical way to tackle this problem?
1: Like there there definitely are easier and practical ways to tackle this. But I, I before moving to that, Hashim, I do want to pick up on what Barbara was saying about we our documentation shows that in in you know the vast majority of cases, governments are using national security or public order as justifications for when they do these types of especially the bigger or blanket shutdowns. But the reality is by shutting down the internet, they have the impacts that Barbara talked about. But let's be clear, once the internet is shut down all the monitoring, all the reporting, all the checks on government power are limited. So in fact, you create an environment in which abuse and impunity can flourish. So in fact, rather than decreasing violence and decreasing the threats to national security and public order, once the internet is shut down, you create an environment that makes abuse is much more likely, and so that's why we're so concerned about this. But moving to your question about, like, what can be done, there are a number of very clear steps. First, of, as, as we said, we need a sort of an international standard where, where states feel obliged to report on what they're doing in a public and transparent way. That alone will start to hold governments accountable and will, I think, make it much less likely that they're able to do this on an ongoing basis. Secondly, one of the points we make in the report, which mm. I think gets lost, is that There's tons of effort going on right now to close the digital divide, to bring connectivity to all the parts of the world that don't have it. About 50% of the world's people don't have full internet access. Um, But in those conversations about connectivity, we're not talking about shutdowns. So in fact, a number of the governments that are receiving support to build up connectivity within their countries are also resorting to shutdowns. Mm-hmm. So we need to link those things. We need to integrate the shutdowns conversation into work that's being done to close the digital divide and to improve connectivity. So if you're going to get support and development aid to do to increase internet access within your country, it should com- come with some requirements that you don't engage in, engage in this kind of shutdown uh, behavior and don't limit the very internet access that you've been helped uh, to create. Stephen, so those are a couple of the key steps.
0: Okay, Stephen, should we reshape the narrative in a, in a way or another? Because as you know, when you talk to many people all over the world about access to the internet, they would tell you, you know what, this is not really a top priority. A top priority for us would be having access to food and water. But if we get to the point where it becomes almost as existential, as important as access to food and water, could that be the tipping point that would bring all the international community to say, you know what? Internet is paramount, it's sacred, is part of our daily life. You, you deny us access, you will be punished.
2: You make the excellent point that access to information over the Internet is critical in this day and age, and it is equated with important things such as food and water. I agree completely with that. What do we do about it? Again, in addition to what Peggy just said, uh, I think multilateral efforts are important here to place internet access at the top of the agenda. But I would argue that the democracies of the world, once the standards that Peggy uh, described are set forth, that in all bilateral negotiations, that access to internet be at the very top of the list in terms of bilateral discussions, bilateral relations. Let's make it a priority for the US and our Western allies and others to prioritize this issue in all bilateral discussions that they have with these autocratic regimes and Mm -hmm. others that are considering uh, shutting down or limiting the internet.
0: Barbara, for many, many years, for decades in fact, one of the biggest problems that we faced was basically when talking about human rights violations was impunity and leaders took advantage of that and perpetuated the suffering of the people. Do you think that we need this time to enforce a mechanism, think about something like an international tribunal, to bring those who are committing those atrocities, digitally now I'm talking, to justice, to stop this from recurring again and again?
3: Of course we need to have accountability for the states that are resorting to those measures at the you know state level or a, or a, or the re- regional level i don't think that we need like a special tribunal for those because actually human rights system already allows for these uh, kind of violations to be challenged right so within the current system uh, both internationally often actually domestically you can you you can try to challenge those um those decisions and that, the the shutdowns and this is actually something which we haven't covered so far and which is very important to mention because the shutdown is uh, always imposed by the state onto the uh, the internet service provider, right, on an ISP. And uh, they, in majority of the cases, obviously I like, comply with the shutdown because this, uh, if they don't, this would have an impact on their operations, but our push is to challenge, to, to ask them to challenge these decisions or these orders, like going even to the court or uh, engage with the states to not just I like, you know, comply or even comply in a, in a way which is not, you know, necessary. So challenge those uh, cutoffs, uh, internet access orders. Thank you. So that's on the state level. But for the states, like we have uh, international mechanisms where these issues can be brought to attention. The Universal periodic Review, when the state's compliance is uh, being uh, revised for the human rights standards, uh, the, um, under the International Human Rights covenant and civil and political rights. So there are already mechanisms, and it's very important for other states, but also for human rights community to continuously bring the, those violators. Why count and use the assistance which we have at our own disposal to, to challenge i wish these decisions. i
0: wish we had time to cover all aspects of this story but i promise you that we will definitely revisit this issue of uh, denying people access to the internet in the near future in the meantime barbara bokovska steven nix and peggy heck i really appreciate your insight thank you that's it for the inside story podcast this episode was produced by Mohammed al-aishi Car. akar Michael Howard, and Jimmy Guitarn. Studio sound was Aston Goodison. The program was edited by Ahmed Farah, Lynn Wynn and Jody Freas. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Monday.